23 minutes it is after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk uh, here on the Mighty Metro with myself, Ayabong Atawe. And uh, yeah, 23 minutes after 7 p.m. Uh, do reach out to us on our studio line there. We're out on 086-000-2160, 086-000-2160. We go straight into our wrap now of the business uh, uh, stories of the day. Tembega Sobekwa, portfolio manager out at Mianzo Equity Funds is my guest. Tembega, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Ayabonga. Good evening to your listeners. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Tembeka, I want us to start off uh, with uh, uh, some of the operating updates and company news that came through. Um, and let's start out with Vodacom. Uh, they came out, of course, um, uh, the f- uh, first sort of print since uh, some... Um, yeah, updates here, uh, be it the acquisition of Vodacom, Vodafone Egypt, um, and also, I guess, uh, giving a very terse update insofar as the fiber acquisition there uh, of uh, some of the assets of CIVH. Uh, but aside from those, in a nutshell, what do you make of how they've performed? Um, and uh, I guess primarily that data and even the financial services offering. Um, yeah, you're very right, Ayabonga. I mean, uh, they've said that the acquisition, they've bedded it down um, now and it's been the numbers from the 8th of uh, December, so I think it's best to look at more the normalized numbers mm. to give an, a view of what the rest of the operations on how they performed. Um, if you look at those numbers, um, it is a resilient result. Um, if you look at group revenue, it's up 14.8%, but that's only 4.7% um, on a normalized basis. If you look at services revenue, it's up 3.5% on a normalized uh, uh, revenue basis. Um, as well as in the South African segment, their revenue only grew by 5%. Um, that was driven largely by prepaid customers, um, which uh, they had a lot, they saw a lot of growth following a very successful campaign, but their subscriber base is still, is still down. So there is a bit of a struggle there. Um, on the international revenue side, it was up 3.3% um, on a normalized uh, basis. If you look at, uh, you mentioned financial services, that was up strongly. Mm. Um, that's due to strong demand for the investor uh, platform. And, and that's across all the international businesses. And now that is possibly the, it is the largest um, mobile money platform in Africa by transaction size. I think they say they recorded, um, they processed about $366 million uh, 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 worth of, um, sorry, that's billion dollars worth of transactions of that platform alone over that uh, uh, period. Um, on not so rosy news, load shedding continues to cost the company. Mm. December was their worst month, and they've seen a pattern of increased utilization on the network from prepaid customers during load shedding. So it's important that you know the, the integrity of the of the network is sustained. So they now have to invest and roll out stationary and mobile generators across all the existing um, towers to assist them when the power mm. runs out. Now, typically towers have four hours on standby now. Mm. But now they're upping it to eight hours because we're seeing that the um, load shedding is lasting a bit longer. Mm. And I guess by design, Tembega, these things were never, you know, designed with um, intermittent connect, uh, electricity access in mind. Yeah. I mean, you know, you design it because you hope that at least in four hours this thing will be solved rather than yeah. a statutory disruption of like six hours. Um, like but, eight, ten hours. Yeah, yeah but let, let's talk just yeah. about some of that CapEx. I mean, and uh, uh, across the different segments, of course, a big part of it in uh, some of the non-RSA operations uh, has been on, you know, getting spectrum in places like Tanzania and Mozambique. Um, but um, in many other spaces, I guess it's been, 
you know, acquisition uh, time, Vodafone Egypt, and also, I guess, investments uh, locally here at home as well? Yeah. So, I mean, with CapEx, I mean, you see it across the telecoms, there's a big drive for digital inclusion, mm. and that's making sure that they are able to bring um, uh, internet access, um, uh, digital, digital access across uh, multiple geographies and just widening that um, uh, footprint. And they have earmarked 1.1 billion of CapEx um, for buying space. Um, additional uh, spectrum, and that's Tanzania and Mozambique. But you can you remember when they launched um, uh, the CIVH, that was also part of the big driver for for, for going into that joint venture. Mm. And uh, I, I guess you know the the big question mark for many investors will be whether or not all of these things will pay off. You know, it might be the Vodafone Egypt uh, story. It might even now be, I guess, the story subject to competition commission approval at the moment. Uh, yeah. Will all of these things pay off in the way, of course, that uh, some of the, uh, I guess, financial services plays have paid off, Impesa uh, being the main one, but even yeah. here at home as well. I mean, many of our listeners, I'm sure, uh, who are with Vodacom would have used the airtime advance, or, uh, which is also part of what they have reported on here. So, I mean, I guess it's, uh, it's, it's a wait and, uh, wait and see. I mean, this uh, uh, Vodafone acquisition is now, it was finalized at $43.6 billion. Rand, which is actually the largest deal in Vodacom's history. Mm. So if it pays off, the, 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 the acceleration in growth and the profile of the company is going to be big. Hmm. And then Omnia, uh, I guess, uh, announcing that they continue to make investments in um, uh, alternative supply, uh, I guess, as the disruptions associated with plant failures at ESCOM continue to uh, have a massive challenge on the op- operating environment. Definitely. I mean, look, companies were already moving in this direction just as a um, their efforts to move, to increase um, their use of uh, sustainable energies and also reduce their carbon footprint. But the more the local crisis has now obviously, um, you know, had, has made the need more urgent. Um, but this, uh, what, what Omnia announced today had been part of their um, renewable energy initiatives that they announced quite a while back. So they announced that they will be adding um, 11,000 PV panels over six and a half hectares in the Sasselberg operation. And this is the second now power plant that they're going to be constructing. They completed their first power plant last week, mm. which is a five me- megawatt uh, power plant. And now they're adding on an additional five megawatt power plant, which will bring their total um, capacity to 10 uh, megawatts. And that the idea that they want to generate 10,000 megawatt hours of renewables a year, which should translate to a minimum of 12 million rand cost savings per year. Mm. Um, and this bill comes to 150 million rand for the company. And, and when we look at this, I mean, I guess in many cases... Um if you look at it in relation to shop price, spending a significant amount on diesel for yeah. Omnia here, you know, it's not only just about getting, you know, backup energy for yourselves, but it's also about con- contributing to an increasing ESG driven storyline around, yeah. you know, emissions reduction. And uh, I guess the credibility with which shareholders and the market looks into some of their net zero plans. Yes, yeah, definitely. I mean, it definitely has been, uh, we've been seeing companies roll out um, their ESG plans, but when you see um, a crisis such as the energy crisis we are going through now, 
um, we've seen them companies actually being able to quantify the financial impact of not having reliable energy um, uh, reliable energy uh, sources, and through that they're able to actually put in the money in the project that they need for more uh, towards more renewable energy sources um, in their current financial years and prioritize that in their capex spend. Look, it's one we're going to be following quite closely because, of course, you know, one of, one of the ironies of this particular one is, um, you know, they are trying to wean themselves off of coal-fired forms of generating mm-hmm. electricity. Um, and now they've invested in solar for one of their operations in Sasselberg, which as a town mm. also emerged because of, I guess, massive investments in converting, you know, coal into fuel and uh, yeah. even, uh, you know, other things like fertilizers, you know, uh, synthetic uh, um plastics and so on so uh, it does it does make i guess for for very interesting reading here but um, the other more fascinating thing that i found is that this is not the only investment they also have a process of producing nitric acid for their fertilizers which yes. as a byproduct creates electricity yes so i mean there is um the process of, of producing um the nitric acid which is what they need for fertilizers it yields some steam and they're using that excess steam to generate um, electricity. Mm. And now combined, all these renewable energy initiatives, they yield about 25 to 35% of the electricity they now need um, to uh, run their operations in, uh, in Sasselberg. And the statement that I like uh, that the company said is that the renewable um, energy uh, initiatives are there to augment the current supply, mm. which is, I, I guess, was a very um, responsible statement because now that speaks to, um, you know, a just transition. And you did mention that, you know, uh, Sasselberg area is a big polluter, but there's still a social an economy and a social um, uh, economy that's running there. So as other jobs run out, new jobs in the sustainable sector should be coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, ShopRite came out with their set of numbers uh, and always an interesting bunch to look at in the world of retail um, insofar as, I guess, selling internal selling price inflation, what their margins look like on uh, much of the products they've been able to move. Um, let's start there. I mean, how's, how those two measures look, their internal selling price inflation, which I guess is the rate of change in the prices of the inventory that they carry and that you find on their shelves, um, and then, of course, I guess um, operating margin, uh, which probably takes us to the price at which they sell much of these products to you and me. So, uh, you know, I mean, they, they recorded some very strong double-digit uh, revenue growth numbers for their first half of um, their financial year. But um, like you said, they, they managed to achieve an internal selling price inflation of 9.4%. And, um, you know, they... they, they they have an initiative where they want to be a price leader in their customer base. And to achieve this or to maintain this, they absorbed an additional 7 billion rand in cost, uh, in cost due to inflation just to try and cushion their customers from the impact of the rapidly rising um, inflation. So as much as, I mean, there's evidence that they've actually gained market share and have been really gaining market share across the platform for a good 46 months now, um, this current result is also kind of um, uh, impacted by the cost line that's also coming in. So you should expect the margins um, to be a bit lower. And then they also mentioned other headwinds as well um, on the cost side, um, mm. which is things like a higher wage bill, where they increase the minimum wage across board 
in the company. Um, and then that's why we should expect now a higher wage bill line in their numbers and as well as a higher fuel bill from uh, the diesel that they now have to uh, procure just to operate their generators across their stores. Mm. Um, so their margins are not going, they are going to be impacted by the cost, even though they have recorded some strong, strong um, uh, revenue growth. Mm. How, how's that integration of the stores uh, that they received from MassMart uh, coming along? Uh, we know, of course, uh, that uh, that uh, matter was finalized a few weeks ago, um, yes. if not just over a month or so ago. Uh, how's that going? So they said that now all of the stores that they've acquired are now fully integrated and in the system. They make up, um, they're going to be part of the uh, RSA supermarket. So that's the core business. Mm. I think some supermarkets, there's going to be some okay liquor stores and also some new saves there. Um, but it's now fully integrated and it's going to be in the numbers um, uh, soon. So um, you should see some uh, uh, lift in the numbers from that integration. Yeah. And then uh, let's take a look at some of the other operating segments. I mean, these guys run pharmacies as well, you know, Medirite, yeah. Transfarm, uh, also have a catering you know, uh, enterprise segment, checkers, food services, and uh, CompuTicket, which might be known to, to uh, a lot of us. And then, of course, uh, the franchises uh, that are operated under the brand of OK. How have those performed? Um, and uh, I guess in particular, the OK franchise, which was reintroduced after a long time. Mm. Mm. So that falls all under the other segment. Mm. It's, I mean, look, the, the star still is the, the core supermarkets, which is 80%. Um, of the of the um, uh, revenue contributor, so the other segment I think only makes up about I think if I'm not mistaken six seven percent of the um, uh, of the revenue, and that also has managed to uh, report some good uh, revenue growth. Um, they grew sales by twelve point five percent for the first half of um, uh, uh, twenty of the financial year, the twenty twenty three financial year. If you look at it on a quarter basis, you see a, a strong growth uh, trend. In the first quarter, their sales were up uh, 10.8%. On the second quarter, they were up 14%. So a strong growth there from that segment. And, I mean, it might not be as a big of a contributor, but it surely is making an impact into the numbers. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, just as we wrap up, Tembega, um declaration of a national state of disaster. I guess to contend with um, the havoc that being wrought on the South African economy by ESCOM. Uh, yeah, your thoughts on this? And uh, I guess uh, to what degree, you know, some of the measures this might unlock. I was saying earlier to my colleague, you know, the Disaster Management Act might allow for emergency procurement. It might allow for shifting of resources from elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, is that a credible story? You know, does the market read that in a way that says, well, this is something that might yield considerable progress? And that might, you know, make us take a different outlook on, you know, some of the companies that might be affected by this move or lack of progress in so far as this is concerned. Yeah. So, I mean, we are what now? We're two months just shut under the three years since the last um, state of disaster was declared in March 2020 Mm. due to the COVID uh, pandemic. So I think, I mean, some of the lessons that were learned, they are still relatively um, uh, fresh. So we, we do have an, an example to kind of read this against. But from my understanding, what has been reported is that government is currently looking at the legal framework. If they currently, the load shedding uh, crisis um, is meeting the requirements for them to um, uh, declare 
uh, a national uh, state of disaster. And the whole idea is that um, it, it should give government the powers that it needs in order to tackle the, the crisis and ensure that financial resources are being allocated mm. um, towards ending uh, load shedding. So like during the pandemic, you know, a state of disaster centralizes the power more towards national government and allows national governments to roll out the emergency uh, procurement solutions and also roll them out faster. And the idea that it should limit, you know, the bureaucracy, red tape hurdles that are standing in the way of fast-tracking the procurement um, for much-needed um, uh, uh, relief uh, uh, in the electricity procurement. So, for, for example, I can think of is, um, something like the, uh, the Public Finance Management Act, the PFNA. Um, it's there to ensure that public funds are managed well, like efficiently and effectively. Now, in a state of disaster, it will allow government to use the public funds towards um, solutions to end load shedding without having to follow all of the processes and the requirements um, of the PSMA. I think there's been wide calls across various industry groups, political parties and business groups uh, for a national state of disaster to be declared. And I think there's, there's some concerns that, you know, um, you know, there's going to be a corruption element or misuse of funds. But I think everyone agrees that, uh, you know, we need to use all of the levers in our hands mm. and, and, and make sure that government is able to use financial resources effectively and allocate them towards ending load shedding. Tambega, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, as you say, I mean, we're probably going to need every tool in the toolbox to try and deal with this particular matter. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Have a good evening.